All right. Hello. 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 Welcome to, what is it, episode number 26. I'm Dan from dancefish.com. I'm your friendly fishmonger. And um, yeah, doing another live stream, 7 p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesdays is when we do this. So you're welcome to come on Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, and hang out. Mountain time, Wyoming time, Utah time, that time zone. Um, for those that are watching this after it's been uploaded, um, let me tell you what's going on. Hey, tilapia, <laughs> glad you're here. Glad it sounds better too. Um, today, going to talk about the American Killifish Association's annual convention, which is next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend in Detroit. So we'll talk about that. Had a, a cool shipping experience, shipping fish this week that I'll tell you guys about. And then we'll kind of check in with everybody and see how everybody's fish are doing. If anyone has any breeding projects they're working on, um, any progress building any fish rooms and stuff, just kind of general nerdy fish chat after we talk about the American Killifish Association convention and, uh, and kind of how shipping went this week. So that's the plan. Bob, hey, welcome, Bob. Glad to see you. Hope you're doing okay. Sounds like you had a long day, man. <laughs> Water Flora, hello. Hey, that's a cool username. I like that. Vstag, welcome. Waving right back at you. How you doing? All right. Well, I'm glad everyone can hear it now. Um, for those that don't know, earlier today I, I did a test um, and I was just testing out some software settings and things to see. I'm trying to figure out how to set up the, um, the scheduled event stream so I can tell people about it in advance. So I can have it set up in advance so everyone kind of knows when it is and, and that it's happening and gets the message that it's going to happen and all that and that it can be shared on Facebook and stuff. But man, I've tried lots of times and I tried again earlier today just to see if I could get it to work before we went live. And it sound people told me it sounded like a, an acid trip, basically, like all kinds of funky reverb. And um, I guess it looked okay, but the sound was horrible. And I didn't have my sound on on my end. I know not to do that. Um, so I don't know what happened. I wonder if I just needed to pause now that I think about it. I wonder if the sound wasn't paused on the stream itself. That's something I'll check next time I play with the settings. But anyway, for anyone that was in there earlier briefly today, thanks for coming by to kind of let me know if it was working or not. And sorry, it was such a <laughs> such an acid trip. <laughs> um, Sergeant, hey, R.A. Jeremy, I'm going to take you up on that. Um, maybe when this is over, you and I could do a little Google time if you have the time uh, and you could help me with those settings. Or we can schedule another time if you're heading over to Jeff Rose or whatever afterwards. Um, Peter, hey, hey, Peter, welcome. Glad you're here again. Um, oh, <laughs> I got a comment on the YouTube channel. I forget which video it was, uh, but there was a guy that like called me out on how I always say, um, because I do. It's horrible. It's this bad habit. And I just noticed that I've probably done it six or seven times already in the uh, three minutes and 30 seconds that this stream has been going. So I'm going to work on that. <laughs> I'm going to work on not saying um every time I pause. I almost just did it again. It's, it's such a bad habit. See, I, 
it's just because of the unscripted style, I guess, that, that gets me doing it. Mob Guppy. Hi, welcome. Yeah, you get two guppies, you get a mob. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, great, Jeremy. Um, I'll email you after and, and we'll, we'll chat. Sounds awesome. Hangar. Welcome, Hangar. Mob Guppy, how old was the guy who criticized you saying, um, 90? <laughs> I don't know. But in, in thanks. I, I appreciate the defense. That's awesome. But he's got a point. I mean, in my defense, it was one of my earlier videos and I was still figuring out how to do it and everything. But yeah, but he does have a point. I mean, it, it's got to be. It wasn't a live stream either is the thing. And so I, I see where it's coming from. But thanks, Mob. Thanks for the backup. I appreciate it. Chef, how you doing? <laughs> um, all good, lol. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe instead of trying to not do it, it'll become a trademark thing, right? It's the it's like Corey's got tacos, you know, Bob's got his mystery hair. <laughs> I've got um. <laughs> It's all that was left, so I had to take it. Um, <laughs> keep it a crypto. Hey, welcome, crypto. Glad you are here. Bob, Corey used to say, and things like that. Oh, I remember that. He stopped somehow. Love listening to him. Yeah, he probably got some criticism or probably watched and, and realized he was he was doing that. Um, oh, did it. Did it again. I'm going to watch this afterwards and count how many there are. It's probably going to be like 3,000 ums in this live stream. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've watched all of Corey's videos from the time when he first, first started on. And he's he's come a long way. It's been great to see his progress. Bob, Claydar, Corey. Oh, wait, I already read that one. Sergeant Tanks. I got Jerome, apparently. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I'm sure someone knows. All right. So I want to talk about a couple things now that we got some people in here. Um, did it again. There it is. There it is. So here's the first thing I want to share with you today is this. Drum roll, please. Bam. So this is happening and this is exciting. This is the American Killifish Association's annual convention. It's not this weekend, but next weekend, May 25th through 27th in Detroit. Um, oh, another um, of course. So this is an awesome event. Here are some of the speakers that are going to be here. We're going to learn about collecting fish in Africa, collecting and raising South American killies. These are two just well, well-known people in the hobby. And then this is a cool topic from Andrew Thompson, the delayed hatching and killifish. So for those that don't know, killifish eggs start their development and then they stop if conditions aren't right. And that's how they can survive being dry. And there's two or three of these, they're called dipause phases in the development of the egg, where maybe even more than that, but where the egg develops to a point and then depending on conditions, it might stop developing. And then depending on certain conditions, it might continue through the next phase where it checks in again, and if conditions are one way or another, it either stops or continues developing. And that's one way that they've evolved to last through 
the dry periods, especially in areas where the rainfall isn't really consistent. There are some areas where three months wet, three months dry, three months wet, three months dry, you know, kind of like that. It's pretty predictable. Or there's areas where you get one wet season and then it's dry the rest of the year and it's pretty predictable. But there's also areas where they never quite know what's going to happen to fish. And so they've built in these uh, steps to make sure that the eggs can last until conditions are right to hatch. It's pretty fascinating. So Andrew Thompson talking about that. Then DNA and killifish, uh, you know, that's, that's one way that we know how they're related. That's used in identification and the decision of whether to make a new species or new genre, things like that. So it's going to be awesome. And then in, in addition to that, there's these other things happening. And there's a big show with lots of killifish in the show. And then there's a massive auction where you can find lots of fish. Now, there's a lot of killifish out there. It's a massive family of fish. But what you can find usually in pet stores is very limited. Uh, Golden Wonders, maybe Norman's Lamp Eye, maybe Gardener Eye, and, and occasionally a couple of others. And that's really about it with any regularity. And then on Aquabid, you can find quite a few species, but they're limited there as well. I want to show you a lot of the species that will be available here at the convention. So at the American Killifish Association convention uh, next weekend, check this out. So far, these are some of the fish that I'm scrolling up on the side that are entered. And let's take a look at some of these. So there's all kinds of them. This is a Chromaphio simian, which is the Bitaniodman bivitatum species. Um, this one's awesome. Lagos, it's a red fish, beautiful. Let's see, diapterons. These things are absolutely stunning. And they're, they're expensive and they're hard to find, but that's a chance to find them. My favorite bivitatum is fungi. When they display, they're awesome. They're beautiful fish. So really great selection. Here's a wild Australi type. You almost always see the uh, orange Australi but this is the wild type. And then check out the variety. Totally different, totally different looking fish. I mean, these things are just absolutely stunning and they're gonna be there and you can see them and you're gonna be able to buy a lot of them as well at the auction, okay? So those are some of the, um, just some, these guys are beautiful too of the Aphiosimian, oh, Oguensi, I love this fish. The iridescence isn't coming through on this photo, but this is a beautiful fish. Oh, I gotta show you this, my favorite Oguensi. Blue iridescent with a lot of red. And then these guys are also just stunning. So those are the Aphiosimian types, but there's a lot of different types of fish that'll be available at this convention. So I wanna show you some of the other groups as well, okay? So this is an Aphanius, which is a Mideastern, kind of North African European species along the Mediterranean. Usually you can get Aphanius mento and maybe Aphanius dispar, but this one is a very rare one. Some Epiplates, these are surface dwelling predators, like little pikes that live at the surface. Um, you've probably seen Annulatus or the clown killie or the rocket killie, but there's some others. 
this picture doesn't do these guys justice. It's a, it's a lavender fish with a metallic sheen and then red dots on it. They're, they're beautiful and they get big to the Lamotis or Lamoti eyes. And then Rolofi. Again, this picture doesn't do this fish justice, but it gives you an idea of the color palette. Beautiful top dwelling predator. Awesome little killifish. Fundalus, these are some of the Native American species that will be their North American native species. Fundalopanchax, my favorite group. Here's the M8 eye that someone wanted to know about a couple live streams ago. They'll be there. Beautiful, beautiful Oseri. Then here's some Blue Galeris, another type of Blue Galeris. Sporenbergi, one you don't see very much. Beautiful metallic Fundalopanchax. There'll be lots of different gardener eye there. Then a couple other types and then we'll be done. But gardener eye, these guys are awesome. Here's a really common one, really beautiful, but really common, Gunthry. Jebi. Corthaze. Then check this guy out. Isn't that beautiful? That bright red tail. Okay, couple others. Apache Panchex. These are Madagascar, uh, a species from Madagascar. I believe that they're endemic to Madagascar. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the case. Then here's some lamp eyes. I love these. These are awesome lamp eyes. In fact, the Similis is a species that I'm planning on getting in from Nigeria as soon as I can do that. Okay, couple other groups. Hope, hope everyone's okay with, with looking at these for a little while. There's just three more groups, so we'll look at six or seven more, and then we'll get back into the chat and stuff, okay? So hopefully you're loving this. If not, it'll be over soon, this part of it. <laughs> so here's some Rivulus. These are kind of like the Aphiosimians of South America. Now, these are the most expert jumpers you will ever run into. <laughs> so you absolutely have to keep. This is the Ziphidus, just an absolutely stunning fish. And this one isn't as bright as they usually are. This is it's bright, bright orange. These guys, they're really stunning. I mean, this is still a pretty fish, but I've, I've seen them a lot brighter. Um, these are South American annuals here that we're going to go into. Let's see if I can get the picture. Oh no, these are script aphiosimians. Sorry, we're back in Africa. I was looking down at the Simpsonichthys below. So this is another African killifish. Um, we'll look at one more. Really pretty fishes. Look at that paddle tail. <laughs> things, <laughs> that thing's a, that's a big old tail for that little fish. And then here's some South American annuals. We'll look at three of them and be done. Um, I've kept and bred these. They're highly endangered. The Constanciae, they come from one little pool in Brazil. And there's a housing development like 100 yards or 100 feet from the pool. And or even closer than that, maybe. But it's uh, this is a highly endangered fish. Easy to breed, easy to keep. Here's another Constanciae. And then... One last one. Okay, so hopefully that whets your appetite. If you're interested at all in killifish, I would highly, highly recommend going to this convention if you can. Um, 
if if you can't remember how to get to this website, if you go to the AKA, then there's a link right here and it's really, oh, whoops, let me show you. If you go to aka.org, that's American Killifish Association.org, aka.org, go here and it'll take you right to the convention and you can get all set up if you can go. So that's uh, that's the spiel on killifish. And then I can't go. I wish I could. I, I don't have the scratch right now to go. I have expended so many resources on this hobby lately that my hobby budget is blown and then some. So I just don't have it right now. But um, if you're in the area or you can get there, I would highly, highly recommend it. I've been to lots of killifish um, conventions and meetings and gatherings, and they're all awesome. They're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And they're so excited that you're interested in killifish that they'll just do whatever they can to help you. So if you can make it, head on over to the American Killifish Association annual convention in Detroit, Michigan next weekend. All right, so let's get to some chat and then we'll talk about something else a little later. I wanna talk to you about uh, my experience shipping fish this week. It's been a heck of a week. I shipped so many fish and had a really cool experience. So where are we at? Um, Getting to the chat here. Oh, Sergeant Tank says that people call him Jerome. (laughs) All right. It's Jeremy, right? My last name is Clay. Oh, I keep saying Clater. Clater. Bob, I've been saying your name wrong since day one, I bet. <laughs> Claylor. Or Kaylor. Sorry. Kaylor. I can do that, Bob. Sorry. I've been calling you Bob Clater for like ever. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. Thanks for letting me know, though. Because if you don't let me know, I'm never going to notice. So, Kaylor. Bob Kaylor. Like Taylor, but with a K. Kaylor. Got it. Lumpy Dog's in the house. Welcome to the house, Lumpy Dog. H.C. Aqua saying hi to everybody. Bob's enjoying the color varieties. Good, good, good. I'm glad people are enjoying it. Holy cow, I got a super chat. Oh, (laughs) thanks, Bob. Even though I said your name wrong, you're still going to chat me. (laughs) You're a forgiving man. So Bob Kalor says, you touched on this briefly before on the species profiles of Achilles. Why are Achilles felt to be so beautifully colored? Why have they evolved so magnificently? Thanks. Yeah, so there's a couple theories. I'll tell you mine. Um, They are absolutely stunning fish. And I think there's a few reasons for that. And this is very general. But if you look at the Achilles that have been around for a while in... um, you know, didn't have to fight off an ice age or whatever, like they have in, say, North America and Europe and things like that. But places below that, see Africa and South America, where they weren't, their development wasn't interrupted by an ice age. Then you look at those and you see some amazing colors. Now you see really cool colors too in the North American species and the Eurasian and um, Middle Eastern and Mediterranean species, shall we say. But not quite to the same extent because their development, again, was interrupted by an ice age. So they only got so far, an ice age hit, 
and then they had to kind of repopulate and start again, more or less. Okay. So this is, this is the killifish gospel according to Dan. Okay. I'm not necessarily a professional scientist. I've, I've read a lot and studied a lot and talked a lot, but to a lot of people and a lot of experts, but this is what I've gathered. So they've had in Africa and South America, a ton of time to develop and evolve. And a lot of these species say it's an annual killifish. So they live in these tiny little ponds or just banks where streams overflow or puddles really sometimes. And these tend to be places that aren't pristine. They tend to be places where other fish would have a hard time living. And often they're very muddy, very turbid waters. Um, I think that's the term, turbid. (laughs) I think so. And anyway, they're difficult to see in. So if you look at them, what you notice is that the females are almost always really drab. They're just kind of brown with maybe a little bit of patterning on them. And that's because there's the more colorful you are, the more likely you are to get picked off by a predator. And in killifish, it's the male's job to attract the female. The female doesn't have to attract the male. So the females stay kind of drab because then they won't get eaten. But the males have to attract a female and they have to attract a female in this really muddy, really icky water that's hard to see through. And so how do you attract a female? Well, you become very shiny, very bright. And the brighter and shinier you are, then the more likely you are to attract a female. The more likely a female can see you through the murk and will choose you as a mating partner. So females find the bright, shiny males, the brightest, shiniest males with the biggest finage and stuff to be the most attractive. And so over millennia, they have selected to breed with those males or those males have just been bright and shiny and big enough, distinct enough to attract a female in that murky environment. And so over time, the brightest, shiniest, most amazing finage males have been the ones to reproduce. And so we've got these amazing colors in these fish, which live in these just horrendously dirty, muddy environments, cow ponds, basically is almost what they are, like a muddy cow pond, some of them. Now, it's not only the annual species that live there that have developed the really bright colors. A lot of the, like, the the diapterons, which is kind of an aphiosimian type species, if you will, they, they live more or less in mountain streams. So they're not fast-flowing streams. No, no kill... Okay, there are some killifish that like fast-flowing water, but most killifish don't. So the diapterons live in these streams that are in the mountains, and they're just covered with trees, these streams. So even though the streams aren't necessarily always muddy and stuff, they're very shaded. So there's not a lot of light getting down there. So to maximize their ability to be noticed by a female, they develop neat finage and bright colors and shiny colors, right? Noticeable patterns and colors and finage. Now, there are a lot of these mountain streams that for long parts of the year are quite muddy too, though. So that's, you know, they have dim light and they're competing with mud, especially during the rainy season and things like that when there's a lot of runoff. So that's kind of the gospel according to Dan when it comes to killifish. 
after having read a lot and researched a lot and talked to a lot of experts and people that have been there and collected and looked at, you know, all the photos of the habitats and getting to know the fish and things, but still not a scientist. Um, that's my theory and the theory I share with experts in the field as to why this happened. Now I'm being very general. You can dig into lots of different species and find very specific things. Um, but like, why do the lamp eye killifish have bright glowing eyes? Well, it's probably so that they can see each other, um, you know, in conditions where visibility can be difficult. So things like that. So that's my take on it, Bob Kaler. <laughs> um, yeah, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to ask below. But if you're trying to attract a mate in water that is nasty and dirty and you can't see through the water, the best way to do it is to, well, a way to do it is to create brilliant colors that are likely to be seen in the water. So, yep. All right, I'm gonna go back to up to the chat to see, hopefully, Bob, that was a $10 answer. Thank you, thank you for the super chat, I appreciate it. So let's go here. Um, Heather is here, welcome, welcome. Heather Nelson, dash Varuna Aquatics. Vistag, I wish I could have them all. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I talked to a guy this week who I shipped some killifish to, and he said he's got over 240 species. So there are some people that they might not have them all, because that would be hard, but they've got a lot of them. <laughs> if I remember right, it's a, a guy out in New Jersey. He's on the board of trustees of the American Killifish Association. He's been into it for a while. So, Jenny... OMG, it had to be on the date of my finals. Oh no. So I just had finals last week. I just finished grading my students and turned in the grades today. I feel like a free man. <laughs> Feels good. But Jenny, good luck on your finals. Hope you're doing all well, doing well on them. If you didn't ask for advice, but my advice from working with a lot of students is don't procrastinate your term paper. It never goes well. <laughs> okay. Anyway, hope it's, hope it goes well and that it's not too stressful for you. Water flora. Can you keep different types of killi together in one tank? Yeah, you can. Like any other fish though, you have to be selective. Just like you can't keep all types of live bearers together because some have different requirements than others, or some have different temperaments than others. You can't keep all killifish together, but there's a lot that you can. Now, it's a faux pas in the killifish hobby to keep species together that can breed. So I'm not saying you can't, but killifish, there's so many different species that are distinct in so many different locations within those species that are unique that the killifish hobby in general is trying to preserve the uniqueness of each species in each location of the species. So you might collect, say, Fundalopanchax gardneri, which let me show you what that is. Um, let me show you a couple of them to make this point. Okay, bringing it up. Okay, so here's some gardneri. So here's some different Gardneri types. Now, as you can see, this one right here with the broad yellow on the fins is quite different from this one here. They've developed 
to be fairly distinct fish like this one here. So the different populations and this one here, right? See how different they are? So the different populations of killifish, even though they're the same species, even different populations have very different qualities and characteristics. So in the killifish hobby, they're trying to avoid hybridization of different species and it's not hybridization of location, but crossing different locations. Because the fear is that the uniqueness of each location and each species will be lost if that's done. So even if two different species can live together, if they're really closely related and they can breed and hybridize, then it's highly discouraged uh, to do that. Now, keep in mind the people saying this are breeders. Most killifish hobbyists, they breed fish, they breed killifish and they distribute them. Now, if you're not planning on breeding them, if you are just keeping them together as a display and you're never gonna pass the babies on, then it doesn't matter. You can keep whatever you want together and if they hybridize, it's no big deal because you're not going to be passing those babies on anyway. So that's that's kind of the caveat to that. But so you can keep them together if you're going to breed them, then you probably wouldn't want to if they're the same, uh, if they're closely related. Like an Aphiosimian, Shilai will breed with the Fundalopanchax gardneri, for example. Um, even though they're a different genus, they'll still breed together. Now, the young might not be viable. I can't remember if they are or not, but some are. Now, that being said, there wouldn't be much problem keeping an Aphiosimian species, which tends to be in the middle of the tank or towards the bottom of the tank, and an Epiplates species, which is a top-dwelling fish, together in the same tank. There's a lot of species you could. So it's a yes and no, Jenny. Some you can, some you can't. Or, or I'm sorry, that wasn't Jenny, that was water flora. Jenny's in finals <laughs> coming up. That was water flora. So water flora, that's, um, that's an answer. If you need anything uh, more specific or if you're asking about specific kinds of fish, then uh, ask more below and I might be able to clarify for you. That being said, whenever you're keeping more than one species together, it's always good to have a plan B so that if something goes wrong, you can remove uh, some fish to a different tank so they don't get, don't get hurt. Dank, hey, Dank, welcome. All right, look out, look out. Dank's here with his tankiness. It's about to get weird. <laughs> All right, Bob, thanks again for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Dank, dark water or light lacking in sunlight? Yeah, um, both. There are places where the water is like black water, full of tannins and hard to see. There's other places where it's just plain muddy, really muddy. And then there's places where it's just, there's so much foliage above the stream that not much light gets there. So uh, it can be a lot of different things, Dank. All right. Dank and Vstag having a tea party. Um... Cool. Dank approves of the $10 answer. That's good. Okay. I'm good then. As long as Dank approves, we're, we're set. Michael, this is way better than earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those that were here earlier, I weren't here earlier. I did a test earlier today to kind of prep for this evening because I was trying out some new software and, um, 
it sounded like an acid trip. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it's better. I can always do the stream now option. I've got that down. I need to get a little more light in here so it looks better, but I've got that down. But it's, it's the trying to schedule it thing, but that's all right. Jeremy will help me out in a bit. Lumpy Dog, are any of the killies that would be okay for community breeding? Um, I think Lumpy Dog, I probably answered that question when I talked about, uh, when I answered Water Flora's question, unless you're asking in a community tank. So Water Flora is asking about keeping different killies together in a community, which you can do. Um, not all species get along and you want to avoid hybridization if you're going to pass them on. But yeah, Achilles can breed in a community tank with other species in it. It's just like any fish that's bred in a community type tank, though. If you have live bears in with tetras, then a lot of the babies are going to get picked off. Um, oops, I ummed again. I did it. Ah. Oh, well, I might as well just embrace it, right? So, um, 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 um. <laughs> so a lot of them will get picked off but if you have enough foliage enough plants like a big clumps of water sprite at the surface and a bunch of java moss down in a corner and things like that then you'll almost always get some that survive a few and one way to breed killifish that's really easy is to get a setup like that that has a lot of plants in it or a lot of spawning mops in it, a lot of cover of some type. Java moss works great, especially when combined with water sprite at the top. And if you throw a pair of killifish in there, you just feed them and squirt in baby brine shrimp once a day and you'll see babies come out and they'll grow up in there. So, yeah. Jenny Lee. Hey, five bucks from, from our student Jenny Lee. It's hard not to procrastinate. <laughs> when it's time for studying for some reason, I get sleepy. Yep. Yes. Anyways, thanks for the stream. Have a great night. All right. Thanks, Jenny. I guess you're off to study, but that is true. If you want to go to sleep, crack open a math book. <laughs> that was my experience or a history book. Now, I love history, but there's something about trying to study that, yeah, it's it's the best sleeping pill. Who needs Ambien when you have textbooks? Anyway, Jenny, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful night. Uh, and I hope you have a good study session. And hopefully we'll see you next Wednesday. Unless you're too busy studying, which I totally get, or in finals. All right. So, so Lumpy Dog, I, hopefully I answered your question between uh, the previous answer and, and that answer. So... Yes, you can. All right. <laughs> Pleco Trevino. <laughs> I, I, Michael I've, Trevino, I've, I've stopped trying to figure out what your name really is because like it changes all the time. So I don't know. Is it like, is it Mile High with a lot of different names or is it Alien Trevino? With I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's a mountain pleco guy or something like that, right? Yeah. All right. Vstag, the first one that steel blue gets me every time. Yep. Those, that's something that killifish have that other fish don't. They just do shiny blue, metallic blue against red better than any other fish out there. I think anyway. Alrighty, Viola hops a lot. Good evening. Good evening, Viola. Glad you are here. Vstag, my dream is to have all the steel blue variants of Achilles. Yep, that would be 
beautiful. Waterflora, great answers. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome, Waterflora. Mob Guppy, I have my first video up. Lots of fun. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Fantastic. Welcome to the wild world of posting videos on YouTube. I, uh, once I upload this, this will be my 101th, <laughs> my 101st <laughs> video number 101. So uh, before you know it, you'll have a whole bunch. But anyway, that's awesome. Wichita. Hey, Wichita, welcome. Glad you are here. Glad you made it. So Wichita, I've always wondered, I could be wrong. I'm looking here. That's why I'm leaning forward. But the little image by your name, is that Texas? So is it like you're from Texas and Wichita? Just curious. Just, just curious. Michael, if you want to go to sleep, I crack open a beer. Yep, that'll work too. There was a, there's this area in Japan that has super long lived folks. I guess their diet's really good or something. And there was a documentary about it that I watched in some class at some time when I was getting through college. And I remember they were interviewing this group of ladies that they were all over a hundred years old and asking, what's the secret? And one of them was describing her day and she says, and before I go to bed, just a little bit of sake. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. So for Michael Trevino, it's beer. For others, it's sake. Dank. What up, Mike? Okay, good. Chef Hannibal. Ugh, grosses me out every time, man. <laughs> Dan, let's get an update tour of your fish room. Yes, I have to do that. I made a video this Monday while I was packing fish and I thought I would get it done before today. I didn't. So my plan is to get that the editing done and get that up tomorrow or the next day. So that'll be coming out. And then the next video probably needs to be like an around the world fish room tour. People have asked for a while and I keep telling people that I will do it. And I just haven't yet, but I'll do that for you. That'll be next week's video, okay? So besides the live stream next week, it'll be an around the world uh, fish room tour. And I plan to do that on Monday. It just depends on how long it takes me to get it edited and uploaded and all that stuff. So Monday or Tuesday probably is when it'll come out, okay? Depends on how crazy shipping is that week. Um, yeah, I'll, go, I'll tell you about my shipping week in a minute when I get to the bottom of the chat here. But it was a crazy week this week. It was a good week, but a crazy week. Okay. Dink, at least you don't beer open some crack. <laughs> crack open a beer. Don't beer open some crack. Yes. Crack is whack. Yes. <laughs> Michael. Oh, hi, Grumpy Gills. I'm a man of many names. Yes. It's like the faceless ones in Game of Thrones, right? The Assassin's Temple or whatever that is. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, we got a tea party between Dink and Michael Trevino. So let me look for the next thing here. Wichita, message retracted. No, no, Wichita. Oh, well, geez, I can't hide my idiocy. <laughs> Wichita Falls, Wichita Falls fish keeper says, Wichita Falls is in North Texas. I was thinking of the city of just Wichita, not Wichita Falls. That makes sense. 
All right, my ignorance is blatantly clear at this moment. So that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Every now and then. See, when it's live on YouTube, like you can't take it back. Just every now and then, my ignorance just shines like a beacon. <laughs> I get it now, Wichita. That makes sense. All right. Lovey dog. Uploading a video gets me to subscribe. Cool. All right. Mob Guppy, there you go. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Dank is saying, wait for it. I wonder what he's got up his sleeve. For those who have been here before, you know, uh, Dank can do anything, so... We'll see what it happens to be tonight. <laughs> Man, Wichita, they keep retracting your, your chats. Wichita, I'm back home. Do you still want a pair of those Killies? Yes. Yes, I have a place for them. I've uh, got a, a tank ready and set up so that as soon as they arrive, I can throw them in and hopefully I'll get some eggs. Now, something that this brings up a point. You hear a lot in this hobby that if someone's spawning their fish, you hear that, oh, they must be, they must have the perfect home. They must be in good conditions because they're spawning. And yes, that's true if they're spawning long-term, but there is this interesting thing that happens when fish get stressed and it's the reproductive drive kicks into hyper gear. So you might notice if you get a pair of fish in the mail and they're stressed because they've been shipped, if you take them out and put them in a spawning tank right away, you'll often get a massive spawn within a day or two, just really quick. And then they might not spawn again for a few months, depending on the kind of fish, but they might not spawn again for a while, and then they'll start spawning kind of regularly. What that is, is when fish are stressed, they, they, I don't know, I'm thinking like a fish, right? Be the fish, right? Says Eric Bodrock. Um, but what it is, is if they get stressed, their body starts thinking, oh, this might be my last opportunity to breed. Like I might be, this habitat might be drying up. Things aren't going well. This is causing stress. This is telling me that this might be my last chance to pass on my genes. And so often when fish come right out of shipping, especially killifish, if you put them in a, a tank that's set up for breeding, they'll spawn right away and you'll get a ton of eggs. Now, if you want to test this, it's really easy to test with a different organism, which is like a ram's horn snail. So if you have ram's horn snails, just the little kind of pest snails, take a few of them out of a tank as an experiment, put them in a little container with some water from the tank in it, like a clear white container or something, a clear white container, <laughs> like a white container, something where it's really easy to see what's on the container. Put them in there and come back in an hour and you're going to find tons of egg masses all over that thing because the snails have just gone through a little bit of shock and stress. And so anyone that's trying to breed fish, often you can get spawns right away. In, in some of the more, some species, you'll get them right away and then you'll never get another spawn no matter what you do. And so just a hint for anyone that's buying a fish that they really want to spawn set them up right away and you'll get your first spawn more, more easily than if you wait a while. And then even if they never spawn again, you, you can raise those babies and get the strain going. So anyway, um, I forget what that, what brought that up. Oh yeah. Wichita. Yes. I'm, 
I'm ready, and whenever whenever you want to send those killies, I am ready and waiting. Dink, at least someone thought it was funny. <laughs> I often, Dink, uh, amuse myself and no one else knows that it's funny, but I know it's funny. <laughs> Dink. All right. Wichita, ship Saturday. Wonderful. Okay. I'm ready. Dink. My Rams did that. Spawn day two. Yep. It happens a lot. And again, we, we always hear, hey, my fish must be super healthy because they're spawning. It could be they're super stressed. <laughs> of course, if they're stressed, they aren't going to continue spawning. So if they're spawning regularly, yes, then they're in good shape. Yep. Just a little, little caveat to the fish spawning healthy thing. All right. So I want to share with you something cool that happened this week. Shipping fish is uh, it's a challenge because there's so many things that are out of your control. And I've been tense all week because I shent, I, I shent out. <laughs> that almost sounded really nasty. I shent out. I sent out a ton of fish. I had so many orders. And thank you to everyone that ordered. Um, I am trying to clear out all the fish here so that I can get a big order of killifish and a few different types of cichlids and rare tetras and things out of Nigeria. And so I mentioned that last week and a lot of people responded. Thank you so much. For those that don't know, there's a massive sale going on at dancefish.com right now. A lot of fish are half off and a lot of them are, are, are severely discounted even if they aren't half off. Like uh, you can get roseline barbs super cheap right now for example, and lots of other fish too. But anyway, so I had a lot of fish to send and it's tricky sending fish this time of year because the days are hot, but the nights are cold. And so it's, do you put in a heat pack or don't you? If you do put in a heat pack, there's a chance that the fish will overheat, which is almost always deadly for the fish. If you don't put in a heat pack, there's a chance they'll get too cold which isn't nearly as deadly, but stresses them out. Now, oftentimes they're kept in an indoor facility between when they're not on a plane or a truck. And if they're insulated well and there's enough water mass in there, they stay fine, but you can't control that. So it's really a nerve wracking time for me to send fish. I elected for the first time this year to not put in heat packs because in my experience, if a fish gets cold, it'll do better than if it gets too hot. So I didn't put heat packs in this week. So I've been like on the, and I sent a ton of fish. So I've been nervous all week, but luckily all the packages that have arrived and the people have reported to me on have arrived in great shape. Everyone's fine. Uh, no obvious stress, except for one package. There was live bears in there and one of the females had babies, but she's fine. It's just, that's gotta be stressful, right? Having babies <laughs> during shipment. But anyway, there's this one cool thing that happened and this makes it all worth it. So I can't show this to you, but I'm going to read this to you. This is a person that's been looking for um, Aplicylus blocki for a long time. He says, I've been trying to obtain Aplicylus blocki since the 1970s. And I'm very happy that you brought them in. I'm looking forward to working with them. So I got that and I was really nervous because I'm like, oh man, what if this guy who's been waiting for this fish since the 1970s, that's a long time. That's going on 40, 50 years. 
He's finally got them in the mail on the way to his house. What if something goes wrong, <laughs> right? I was on pins and needles. But anyway, I got the follow-up from him and it says this, Dan, the Aplicailus blockii pairs arrived in perfect condition around 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks for bagging them separately. Um, they're really lovely little guys and I thank you for finally fulfilling a wish to have this species. I couldn't be happier and I look forward to ordering again. And I just felt like this huge sense of relief and fulfillment. I mean, it was one of the, one of the coolest experiences I've had shipping fish in a long time. Because someone's been wanting them for decades. They finally got them and I was able to hook them up with the species that they've been dreaming about for 40 years. So that was cool. And it's stuff like that that keeps me doing this, even if it's not always highly profitable <laughs> or even when occasionally things go wrong and it's it's no fun. Um, but enough of that happens to, to make it worth it for me. So that was a really cool, really cool experience on a stressful shipping week. So I was glad that happened. Um, lumpy dog. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's hilarious. Lumpy Dog says, breeding killies is beneath me. I stick with the difficult fish to breed, like live bears. <laughs> he loves killies. Live bears and convicts, cichlids, right? The hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious, Lumpy. <laughs> well, yep, dank. I almost I almost accidentally went there. Lisa C. So is that why water temperature change? could encourage a breeding. Um, not kind of. So a lot of times the fish time their breeding to the rainy season coming. When it rains, there's this massive bloom of infusoria and plant matter and all, all kinds of things. The, the habitat gets rejuvenated. The toxins get washed out. It's just a magical time. So what the cold water change does is uh, simulates a fresh rain coming down. And that's the trigger for a lot of species to spawn. Because if they spawn at that time, the odds are higher that their babies will survive and, and they're gonna get more food so they can bulk up on eggs again and spawn again, possibly. So the way it might be related though, Lisa, is that there are a lot of species that go through kind of horrendous conditions in the dry season until the rainy season comes again. So in the rainy season, say you're in a floodplain on the Amazon, in the rainy season, these small rivers overflow their banks and just flood the forest. So you have all this new habitat full of food that you can go graze on and expand on, get away from predators, go hunt for prey. It's just a magical time. But in the dry season, that all shrinks and suddenly, not suddenly, but gradually we get down to these often tiny little habitats where fish are just packed in. This is when piranhas become dangerous, by the way, when you get these huge concentrations in these small bodies of water and there's just not enough food. Um, and when food becomes available, they just go for it, right? But those fish that find themselves in those conditions they're kind of hard conditions to live in. So they're, they're stressed. But then when that rainy season comes, that triggers the spawning um, because it's the start of, you know, a new time of plenty. So it, it, it's, it, it mimics a rain, 
which can trigger spawning. And sometimes coupled with stress, that can trigger spawning. Um, for example, if you talk to Jeremy Bosch, he's bred some really rare catfish by them going through kind of a stressful period and then getting uh, to simulate, simulate the dry season and then getting, you know, the water changes and the fresh water coming in and stuff. So, so yeah, simulates rain, sometimes coupled with a stressful situation, mimicking a dry period that they would go through in their natural state that could trigger spawning. Yeah. Uh, Wichita, Dan, I bought something new on Aquabid. This guy in Florida, aquatic researcher, sells breather bags in 25 foot rolls. I'm anxious to try it out. Cool. Now, breather bags are awesome, depending on the kind of fish you're going to sell. If you're selling small fish that like to be alone, like killifish, they're great. They're great. 25 foot rolls. So yeah, you, you got your heat sealer and you're good to go. <laughs> that sounds awesome. For people who use impulse sealers like you and me, hopefully it will work well and no more unusual, unused bag space. Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage of the breather bag. Yep. HC Aqua, I want to flood my backyard now. Go for it. Your backyard and your neighbor's backyard. It'll be, it'll be an experience to remember, I promise you. <laughs> Bob. I place the limias together and wonder if they can interbreed. I plan to separate them post-quarantine. The juvenile shouldn't be mature, so it gives me some time. I've researched and like this answer. Um, genus is not actually relevant to genetic compatibility. Correct. However, the structures of the gonopodium is too different for them to be able to mate. Okay. Uncertain about the DNA compatibility, but it would be but it would have to be artificial insemination to find out. I'm not even aware of any instances where such a cross has been accomplished. Yeah, I think generally with live bearers, if others of their own species are available, they would prefer to mate with them. Um, on the two limias that you have, I don't know if they're closely enough related to, um, to interbreed or not. But you're right, if the gonopodium is substantially different, it would be very difficult um, for that to happen. That being said, if a guppy can breed with a molly, which can happen, you know, um, different gonopodiums certainly can do the job. I think, I think the Nigra fasciatus that I sent you, I think they're too young to breed right now, though. You might want to check um, if they have a, an obviously fully developed gonopodium, then they might be able to. But I think, I think you'll probably be safe, Bob. I'm really not sure. I've never put those together. I've never tried it. I hope you are. <laughs> if anyone else uh, knows an answer that can help Bob more specifically than I, because I've never put, it's Limia uh, nigra fasciata and Limia perugia. I've never put them together. So if anyone else knows for sure if if he needs to worry about cross uh, hybridization or not, if he puts them together, um, if you could chime in, we could maybe help him out. But I think you're okay, Bob. I, I think that they'll want to breed with their own kind. Lisa C. No, buddy. Yeah, I'm still, I'm doing a live stream, so I'll 
come up and talk to you later, Kim. So Lisa C, great explanation. Thank you. Can you recommend an ideal temperature for breeding blue galeris? Yeah, um, about 75 degrees, maybe 73 degrees, 73 to 75. Well, 73 to 77. Okay. <laughs> 75 would be uh, pretty much my ideal. I wouldn't want to take them much over 77. Um, 73 is good. So right in that range. If you keep them warmer, they'll just burn out faster. And I find that 75 is pretty good for... There is a guy I know in Southern California that breeds tons of blue galeris and has a lot of success. And the way he does it, it's pretty old school, but he takes a tank, I think it's 10 gallons or 20 gallons. It's full of java moss to the point where you're never going to see the fish, which is why I don't do it that way. But he fills that sucker with java moss. I mean, these tanks have been going a long time. They're well established. These probably started with a little clump of java moss and just filled it up. And it's got um, an under gravel filter. It's that old school. And he just dumps a ton of blackworms in there. And then every day he squirts in some baby brine shrimp. And that guy produces a ton of blue galeris like that. He just leaves them in there. Now, I, I imagine that if you remove the parents after a couple weeks that you would get even more fry to grow up, but that's how he does it. And most people I know that artificially incubate the eggs have a heck of a time getting them to hatch because they tend to fungus. So it might be worth thinking about if you're trying to breed them. Yeah, Bob. Kaler, um, it was buffering briefly. I think it's over now. It's like just a little blip. Um, I tried a new thing. I tried a variable, a variable bit rate thing because I think it'll help it so that if my signal strength goes up and down, it can kind of adjust as it goes. So I think that's helping. I've noticed less buffering than we've had in the past. Um, oh, I ummed again. <laughs> so hopefully it's working better than it has in the past, but I think it sometimes has to adjust to the fluctuations in speed. And I think it took it a little while to adjust. By the way, um, is the, I ummed again, <laughs> is the, on your guys's end, is it, can you see me? Okay. And is the sound okay throughout this live stream? Those that have been here from the beginning, has it been okay pretty much the whole time? I'm just curious if this variable bit rate is something that, uh, is worth continuing. So I'll wait just a second until I get some cool. Yeah. All right. Seems like that's working. All right. Well, it's been about an hour and this is the point in the live stream where I've reached the bottom of the chat. And so if anyone has any comments that they want to get out, anyone has any questions that they want to ask, oops, it's buffering again. Yeah, I think hopefully that doesn't last long. Yeah. I think we just had another buffer thing as well. I wonder if my kids went upstairs and, and started a movie or something on Netflix. That could be what it is. But anyway, we've reached kind of the bottom of the chat here. So if anyone has any questions or comments that they want to say or ask, now's the time because based on how that goes, we'll start shutting it down in a couple minutes if we don't get, you know, some questions and comments going, which is fine because then we can all head over and watch some of the other live streams going on. I haven't seen Jeff Rose in here today. I don't know if he's live streaming right after or not, but it seems like there's always content fish related on YouTube. Um, so 
I ummed again. So we'll be able to find something. Sergeant, I absolutely love breeding with a ton of Najas grass. Well, this sounds a little personal there, Jeremy. Instead of rose petals <laughs> versus Java moss. Not only Achilles this way, but many species. Yeah, the, the Najas grass doesn't tend to be so dense that fish can't swim through it easily. So I, I totally get that. Najas grass is probably a little easier for the fish to get through and live in when the tank is full of it. Yep. Not only Achilles this way, but many other species. Yeah, I totally, I hear you, Jeremy. Yep. Lumpy Dog, another vote for Najas Guppy Grass. Ta-da! Bob Kaler, thanks for the stream. Just his notification that he's live. Great. So Jeff Rose is going, so let's shut it down. Thanks, everybody. I'll be getting the, uh, I'm going to say uh instead of um, <laughs> the uh, the video of shipping that I made on Monday out a little later this week. And then next week I will do an around the world tour of my fish room and we'll do another live stream next Wednesday, same time, seven o'clock PM mountain time right here. Yep. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm going to email you right now. See if I can get a little bit of help with this pre-scheduled live stream shenanigans. Alrighty. Thanks again. Until next time, everybody have a great one and enjoy your fish.